0: If you would, take your Bibles and turn with me to the Gospel of Matthew, chapter number six. Matthew's Gospel, chapter six. We're going to look together at verses 25 through 34. There is a single command that holds together verses 25 through 34. You ready? Here it is. Don't worry. Now, this is an easy principle to teach, an easy command to teach, difficult one to obey. Uh, This morning was a little different obviously without having the first service and uh, with travel I I, I was here and then I had to make a trip back home and and actually uh, Brandy and I uh, rode together this morning for a short errand before services start. You can count on one hand in 17 years the number of times we've ridden together on a Sunday morning before church. And, uh, you know, Sunday morning, I'm kind of, it's, it's, it's go mode, right? I've got my mind on the message, and I'm trying to think through how this is going to unfold. And I'm thinking, don't worry, and don't worry. And here's how these pieces fit together. And we, we got in the truck, and we started to drive. And the first thing that she said was, I'm a nervous wreck. And I thought, you sinner. <laughs> but I didn't tell her. Husbands, I didn't tell her, you know. It, it, here Here's a command that if I'm just being honest with you, I'm, I'm in fairly frequent violation of, right? Don't, don't worry. And, and this is hard to master. In fact, I'm not entirely sure that mastery is the kind of language that we ought to use for this passage, this side of heaven. This is one of those commands that provides for us a point of, of, of tension and, and something that we're wrestling with and against for all of our earthly life. But I want you to know this morning That there is a place of rest for us from our anxiety in the arms of our Savior, Jesus. So I want you to listen intently in the time that we have together in this passage. And I hope that you leave this morning with a commitment that although you would have to acknowledge shortcoming on your part with regards to obeying this command, I hope that you leave with a commitment to wrestle with it and to seek to do all within your power to employ what Jesus requires of us in this passage. Matthew chapter 6 and verse 25. If you've found your way there, stand with me out of respect and honor for the reading of God's word. Matthew chapter 6 and verse number 25. Jesus says, This is why I tell you don't worry about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink. Or about your body, what you will wear? Isn't life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They don't sow or reap or gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Aren't you worth more than they? Can any of you add a single cubit to his height by worrying? And why do you worry about clothes? "'Learn how the wildflowers of the field grow. "'They don't labor or spin thread. "'Yet I tell you that not even Solomon "'in all his splendor was adorned like one of these. "'If that's how God clothes the grass of the field "'which is here today and thrown into the furnace tomorrow, "'won't he do much more for you, O you of little faith? "'So don't worry, saying, "'What will we eat or what will we drink or what will we wear? "'For the idolaters eagerly seek all these things.' And your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things will be provided for you. Therefore, don't worry about tomorrow, because tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. May the Lord bless the reading and the preaching of His Word. You may be seated. Jesus begins in verse 25 with this phrase, this is why I tell you. In other words, everything that Jesus says in verses 25 through 34 is predicated on what Jesus said in the paragraph before in verses 19 through 24. That was our text last Sunday. It was there that Jesus helped us to see that our focus as kingdom people is not on the material or even on the financial, but on the spiritual. It is our strong desire that we would invest not where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but in eternity, where there are no moths and there is no rust and there are no thieves. We want to do something with the life that God has entrusted to us that lasts beyond the span of our mortal life well into eternity and beyond. We want to do something with this little sliver, this little 80 year span of life that god has given us within the grand scheme of eternity that would make a difference 10,000 years from now, with this little vapor that is here today and gone tomorrow, with this little wisp of smoke that disappears in an instant, we want to do something that brings glory and honor to our Savior Jesus that matters again beyond the span of our natural life we talked about how that represents such a break with the wisdom of this world in this world our ambitions our goals our dreams are oriented around this world we have financial goals at times we have retirement goals we have vocational goals we have goals with regards to things we hope to have one day and all of those seem to be focused on the here and now but for kingdom people Although those goals may be some part of our life, they are to have a spiritual purpose. They are a means toward an eternal end. We acknowledged in our time together last week that we have certain responsibilities, even financial and material responsibilities in the here and now, that we're obligated on the basis of God's Word to meet but those are not an end in themselves rather they are a means to a spiritual purpose we hope that even in the process of meeting the financial and material obligations that we have in the here and now that we can do something that makes an eternal difference something that impacts the world around us for the kingdom's sake and that magnifies the glory of our savior jesus christ in short what we learned in those verses was this Our focus as kingdom people is not primarily here, but over there. Our focus is not temporal or earthly, but eternal. Jesus says built up on that are these realities. Because of that truth, you can honor and obey. You can strive to follow through with the command that follows, namely that we would not worry jesus says again in verse 25 this is why i tell you don't worry about your life what you will eat or what you will drink or about your body what you will wear isn't life more than food and the body more than clothing now one of the things that i think really speaks to our great shame in western culture and specifically in america where there's such a level of affluence and comfort is that here jesus is addressing concerns over food drink and clothing now i know what sunday mornings look like for those of you who have children at home and clothing can be a real issue like i got how all that works somehow in the night shoes just disappear but outside of that strange way that satan's to be satan seems to be at work with our children's clothing None of us got up this morning wondering if we would have clothes suitable to keep us warm, to make us presentable for gathering together with the church. Relatively few people in America will wonder, will wring their hands over food and water today, except for exceptional circumstances. And yet here we're confessing a wrestling with, a struggling with worry as Jesus describes it in our passage, whereas the worry in his day were the basic essentials of life, food and drink and clothing. Jesus says, don't worry. And then provides this example in verse 26. He says, look at the birds of the air. They don't sow or reap or gather into barns, yet your heavenly father feeds them. Aren't you worth more than they? And I think this initial illustration that Jesus uses is helpful for us. It helps us to provide some balance to what Jesus is describing. There's an older translation, specifically the King James translation, that says, Give no thought to food or drink or clothing. That seems to me a little heavy for what Jesus intends in the passage. You really ought to give some thought to food and drink and clothing. And there ought to be some effort on your part, as we described last week, to meet the financial and the material obligations that we have as individuals, specifically as as husbands and as fathers, but even as mothers. And on some level, even our children bear some financial or material responsibilities or obligations. And some plan ought to be in place in order to meet them in a way that would bring honor to our Savior. Jesus is not saying that we live with this sort of careless, laissez-faire, lackadaisical kind of attitude and i have three boys at my house and they are the masters of not worrying in all the wrong ways if their heads were not attached they would lose them regularly that's jesus is not talking about this adolescent boy type of not worrying hey i don't care what happens if the sun doesn't shine it won't affect my day that is not what jesus is describing And the first illustration in the bird is is a pretty good illustration in demonstrating what Jesus intends. You have likely noticed in your front or backyards on your streets as the snow begins to melt away, the birds are gathering in large groups in those small melted spots so that they're able to access the ground and begin to to scurry around and gather food and, and water even and provide for the needs that they have. What you see exemplified in the bird is, is labor, is toil, is a striving to meet one's needs as though our needs being met is reliant upon our straining and our striving. What Jesus is describing here in verses 25 through 30 is a situation in which we are laboring, stra- straining, and striving to provide for the needs that we're responsible to meet while at the same time resting confidently in the knowledge that ultimately and finally it is Jesus that provides for all our needs. And in Jesus' system and in the Bible system, these two are not in conflict. We are laboring and straining and striving. We're doing all we can with the energy that God has entrusted to us to do what we're able to do as good stewards, as good managers of the time, talent, and energy that God has entrusted to us. At the same time, we know and we find rest for our soul and our weary bones in the knowledge that it's God who ultimately meets our every need, food, drink, clothing, and Otherwise look at the birds of the sky. Jesus says they don't sow or reap in other words They're not agricultural in nation, in nature. They're not out farming They're not doing so many of the things you would associate with uh, Providing for one's needs or providing for the needs of others. And yet god provides for them Lavishly aren't you worth more than they? Aren't you better? Aren't you worth more? Don't you hold more value in the eyes of god than the birds of the air? Then in verse 27, Jesus appeals to our reason. If we're not able to understand the the spiritual or theological basis for this commandment, "Do uh, do not worry, then surely we're able to understand on a practical level how foolish it is to worry about the circumstances of life. Jesus says in verse 27, Can any of you add a single cubit to his height by worrying? Another way of rendering verse number 27 would be to translate it this way. Can any of you add a single moment to your span of life by worrying? Someone said worrying is effective. Most of the things you worry about never come to pass. And that's true, right? Most of the things that we worry about never really unfold. And the deal for us is we, we typically we worry when we can't see a way for us personally to manipulate the circumstances around us to reach an end that, w- that we truly desire. Like it won't come out the way we want it to. We can't see how we can finagle this and make it work. The, the ba- that, listen, there's a, there's a theological premise that, that this whole passage is built on, that Jesus is Lord of all. and and that we're able to rest in that. You're, You're going to struggle with doing what Jesus requires of us, but if you will be mindful of the fact that Jesus Christ is the Lord of all lords and the King of all kings, that he bears all authority both in heaven and on earth, and that he is always at work for our good and for his glory, it will do a great deal for the state of your soul and the condition of your heart. You'll find rest in that, right? There's peace in that, right? The the reason we worry is because we like to control things. And, And it's typically when we bump into a situation that we can't control that we begin to worry. Now, I want you to think about this for just a moment. If Jesus says, do not worry, that makes worry a sin, right? If you worry... If you are riddled with anxiety, you are living in a state of sin. And some of us are so addicted to stress and anxiety that we just don't feel right when we don't have it, right? I've, I've confessed there are times when I've, I think I live on that. I, I, I want to convince myself that I perform better under those kinds of circumstances. This is the mentality that makes your teenagers and your college students wait until the night before the paper is due to read the book that the paper is to be written about, right? We convince ourselves that we function better under those kinds of circumstances. But the reality is that stress, anxiety, that worry, as Jesus describes it, is a sin. Now, why would that be? Because at its heart, at the very core of worry, is unbelief. The reason we worry is because we disbelieve the promise of God that he is, in fact, Lord over every second of our life and that he's always at work for the good of his people and the glory of his name. When you come to terms with that reality, there can be peace for our soul and rest from our anxiety. The knowledge that Jesus Christ is King of all, that He is Lord of all lords, that He indeed bears all authority in heaven and on earth, that is the single most comforting theological truth in the Scripture for me. That Jesus is in charge, that Jesus is in control, that there's not one single scintilla of a second of my life where God has turned his back and taken his hands off the wheel. God is in control. We love to feel as though we've got this power. We love to feel as though we have control over certain areas of our life. But the fact of the matter is, our well-being is eternally in the hands of our God. And by the way, he can be trusted with our well-being. He's good and he's faithful. He can be trusted with our well-being. You may rest in him. Jesus says, don't worry. Because there's no sense in worrying. Jesus is Lord of all. God is Lord of all. He knows of all your needs. And, and secondly, it doesn't do you any good. It doesn't benefit you to worry. Who among us can add a single moment to the span of your life by worrying? In verse 28, Jesus says, why do you worry about clothes? learn how the wildflowers of the field grow. They don't labor or spin thread. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was adorned like one of these. Now this is kind of the opposite type of illustration, right? Unlike the birds that are busily at work providing for their needs, provided ultimately for by God, the flowers of the field don't do anything. They're just there. They're just existing. And God has adorned them in a way that exceeds even that of Solomon, one of the world's greatest kings. Certainly Israel's most wealthy king, and perhaps one of the world's most wealthiest kings of all time. Not even Solomon was adorned like the flowers of the field, and they don't do anything. What Jesus is saying to us is we can trust God. We can rest in him. Look at verse 30. If that's how God closed the grass of the field, which is here today and thrown into the furnace tomorrow, won't he do much more for you? Oh, you of little faith. This is is not like newsflash material maybe, and it's certainly not hopefully revolutionary for you, but God is able to meet the needs that arise in your life. God is aware of the needs that have arisen or will arise in your life. And he is fundamentally good in his nature. He always does what is good for his people and the glory of his name. In short, God can be trusted. Your worry, your anxiety, is an attempt at taking into your hands what belongs in the hands of God alone. You have the permission of God to rest peacefully in his all-sufficient hands. Y'all tracking with me this morning? This is a real struggle, right? Because you've brought in with you this morning all kinds of circumstances, all kinds of stuff that really bothers you, that burdens you, that's heavy for you to bear with. I think I said in the first service, I think this is true, that the last 25 months, 26 months for us have probably been among the most anxiety-filled months of our life as a family, our life as a couple, primarily because of our situ- situation with a foster child. Over two years, we brought, uh, two years ago, we brought into our home unexpectedly a foster child, he came from the hospital to our house, And we thought initially he's just there for a short stay. Pretty soon it became clear he was not there for a short stay. He was there for a long stay. By May of that same year, he was born January 1st, we received news that birth mother wants to sign her rights away and for us to be able to adopt that child only to change her mind a month later. Now you start out on a good foot. You've got this mentality that we didn't, we didn't get involved in this type of care and support so that we could have a child for our family. We got involved in this type of support so that we could be a family for a child and we could bridge a gap for a mother that was struggling and wrestling and trying to get through a difficult season of her life. But once the switch flips and you begin to think in terms of family and adoption, brothers and sisters, it's hard to switch the flip back, to switch it back. It's hard to sort of let go of that. And then there begins to be this wrangling, this wrestling back and forth and uncertainty about what the best outcome for this child will be. And here we are, 25 months later, in a situation that is entirely beyond our control. There is nothing that I can do. There is no button that I can push. There is no call that I can make. There is no fit that I can throw. There is no one I can bust in the head that can change the situation, right? I've thought of all of those options, by the way. And it's difficult to rest When the circumstances of your life are beyond your control and all we're left to do is to preach again and again and again to our wicked hearts that Jesus is Lord, that he is in control, that he always does what is good, what is right, what serves our best interest and the glory of his name. And you preach it again, and you preach it again, and you preach it again. And when you find yourself struck with anxiety, you preach it one more time. And you remind yourself that all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to Jesus. And because of Christ, everything's going to be okay. And when you find yourself going back there again, Do you know what you do? You preach that little Sermon again. You say Jesus Is able. He bears the power And he is good He is right. He is righteous He sees the end from the beginning He always does what is good For his people. And you preach it Again and again and again and again And if you are to seek to honor The command that Jesus issues in this Passage, you'll spend the rest of your Life preaching that little sermon To your wicked heart Wrestling against the flesh to come under the lordship of jesus and to rest at peace from the worry the anxiety that is so common in the world around us we are to be at rest you don't have to worry now look at what jesus says the first point here is in verses 25 through 30 don't worry the second is in verses 31 and 32 here jesus says so don't worry saying what will we eat what will we drink or what will we wear for the idolaters eagerly seek all these things and your heavenly father knows that you need them. So Jesus starts out by saying this whole deal is built on the notion that as kingdom people our concerns are not material but spiritual. Because of that we're able we're better able to rest. If our concerns are not focused on the things of this world, it would stand to reason that when circumstances around us in this world were not ideal, we would be more likely to rest under those circumstances. If if your hope, if the strength and stay of your soul is fixed in this world, then when this world goes crazy, it is a reasonable thing for you to be filled with anxiety, for you to worry in the way that Jesus describes in our passage. But if you have looked beyond this life, to a life that is to come in a kingdom that is to come. There really isn't that much concern to be attached to the things of this life. Our interest is, is in investing over there, not in the here and now. So we're able, to some extent, to rest. But Jesus says... It's not so with idolaters. They worry about what to drink, about what to eat, about what to wear. These are the kinds of concerns that are born with on a consistent basis here in this world. The idolaters eagerly seek all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. In other words, what Jesus is saying is that as kingdom people, we ought to be a people who live at peace. The world is in a state of of, of turmoil and conflict and worry and stress and anxiety. All of those outside the kingdom have good cause to worry, to be racked with stress, to be filled with anxiety. But as kingdom people, we ought to be a people who live at peace. I, I will tell you this morning, church, one of the most unbecoming things about the disposition and the personality and the attitude of the church in the present hour in Western society it's how we seem so much to be wracked with anxiety and stress and worry, constantly in our circles, wringing our hands about what the next days or the next outcome is going to look like. Now, I just want to say to you this morning, folks, that God can be trusted with the circumstances of your life. And it would behoove many of you to come away from the 24-hour news cycle and the constant barrage of social media propaganda and to rest quietly and confidently in the hands of a Savior who, believe it or not, knows what he's doing. He just does. He can be trusted with the circumstances of your life. Worry is something for the world, but peace has been reserved for kingdom people. Now, we need to be honest with ourselves that we wrestle back and forth with this. And I'm convinced one of the reasons that we'll wrestle with this principle, one of the reasons we'll wrestle with worry is because we wrestle against the lordship of Jesus. The reason we wrestle with embracing the lordship of Jesus over our life is because we wrestle against the lordship of Jesus over our life. It's our desire far too often to withhold certain parts of our life for ourself, to be a Christian person in this department, and to be something else in this department. So we're always resisting the lordship of Jesus. So when the day comes when we really need to rest in his lordship over our life, not just what he has required of us, but the knowledge that he is in control of us and all of the circumstances of our life, it's somewhat more difficult to then find that kind of peace, that kind of rest. But he's trustworthy. If what Jesus is describing in verses 31 and 32 is really a situation in which the church is not to be about the business of worrying but the world is, what what does it say about us? What is the diagnosis? If it seems that the world is better at peace with certain circumstances than we are as church folk, as kingdom people, we've got to get beyond this hand wringing. And I get labor and strive and strain. I got all of that. Listen, I'm with it. I'm on board. I'm a doer. I want to go do something. Let's do all that we can to remedy a situation. I'm all about that. But at some point, we've got to be a people who can step back from a situation, take a deep breath, and rejoice in the lordship of Jesus over every aspect of our life. Worry is the way of the world, but peace has been reserved for kingdom people. There's a third thing I want you to see here. In verse 33, Jesus says, But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be provided for you. Seek first the kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be added or provided for you. Seek the kingdom, I take, I understand to mean, seek the interest of the kingdom. Seek the advancement of the kingdom. His righteousness is a reference to pursuing the holy standard of God for our lives. We're seeking after the best interest of the kingdom. We're seeking after his standard for righteousness in our life. And I think it's interesting that these two go hand in hand. Somewhere along the way, being serious about sanctification and personal righteousness has sort of fallen from vogue. It's not fashionable in the church anymore, but these two always go hand in hand. The advancement of the kingdom and the pursuit of personal righteousness in the lives of kingdom people, they always work together. These two are not in conflict. They're in perfect harmony. They always have been and they always will be. When there's an earnestness for personal righteousness, it's always attended by an earnestness to see the kingdom advance. When there's an earnestness to see the kingdom advance, it's always attended by a want for personal righteousness. The thing that's always the compelling factor for me engaged in evangelism, I think about how, how I want to pray this person into the kingdom. I want so badly to see them come to faith in Christ. And I find myself before the Lord asking that he would open their heart that they might believe. And I always think of that passage in James 5 where the Bible says that the prayers of a righteous man availeth much. And I want that righteousness would prevail in my life, that my prayers would be well heard, that they'd enjoy power before the Father, that God would move before me that many would be saved from their sin. These two interests go hand in hand. A strong desire to see the kingdom of God advanced and a passion to see righteousness grow in my own heart. Those two cannot be divorced from one another. You can't see kingdom advancement by making accommodations for the concerns and interests of this world. Personal righteousness, sanctification, and kingdom advancement are always married together in the Scripture. Jesus says we are to seek those first. And when we do all these things, that is, all else is provided for you or added unto you. What Jesus is calling for is a radical reprioritization of our life. In fact, it's really not changing our priorities at all. It's reducing our priorities to one. Jesus says the singular priority, the focus of all our life, becomes the advancement of the kingdom and the working of righteousness in our life. That becomes our focus. And when that's the focus, everything else is taken care of. All these things will be added to you. All these things will be provided for you. There are certain things written into the economy of God, the constitution of God, that don't make sense to a worldly mind. It confounds common sense. It defies logic. It just doesn't add up. It offends our sensibilities. But by experience, we learn as kingdom people that this is indeed the way the kingdom works. Think of, of giving, giving in your personal life tithing or just giving away. There is nothing about the notion that God would enlarge our capacity for giving or meet our financial needs because we're giving away the financial resources that God entrusts to us. There's no accounting class for that. There's no formula, no equation. It doesn't add up. Two plus two is always four, but something about God's economy is radically different than the way this world functions. And yet by experience, we have come to know assuredly that this is indeed the way the Lord works in our life. Think of the local church and think of specifically church planning within the context of our church. It makes absolutely no sense whatsoever to expect that sending people, that asking people to leave our church and go plant other churches would contribute to the growth of this church. In fact, I I try to encourage pastors, if you want your church to grow, the worst thing you can do is to try to make your church grow. It's the worst thing that you can do. But if you set your focus beyond that to the advancement, the growth, the expansion of the kingdom, it is remarkable what God is often pleased to do within that local church. It doesn't make sense. It defies logic. It offends our sensibilities. But this is the way God has written the constitution of the kingdom. And by experience, we've come to trust and to know just that. What Jesus says here is that when you make the single focus of your life, his kingdom and his righteousness, everything else has a way of taking care of itself. God can be trusted with you. And by the way, the advancement of the kingdom and the growth of righteousness in your life is likewise ultimately reliant upon the work of God in your life. It's all entrusted to him. Ultimately and finally, it's all entrusted to him. Kingdom people. Have kingdom priorities confident that everything else just has a way of taking care of itself the last verse of our passage Jesus says here in verse 34 therefore don't worry about tomorrow because tomorrow will worry about itself each day has enough trouble of its own I would concur would you Don't worry about tomorrow. Don't worry in general. Every day has enough trouble of its own. My invitation to you this morning is to rest in Jesus. To rest in Jesus. There's there's no telling the number of, of real, hard, heavy, pressing circumstances that exist in your lives as individuals this morning from a pandemic that's, brought fear and concern over health issues, maybe people in your life that have compromised health and you're constantly concerned with making sure that they're protected and, and that you're protected so that ultimately they're protected to maybe even the product of a pandemic meaning the loss of a job or compromising your financial stability or, or standing, your position, or an ice storm that hits in the deep south in february and just sort of throws everything into chaos for a few days the anxiety the stress that can come with that there, there are any any number of things there are probably some people who, who've gotten a diagnosis that wasn't what they had hoped to hear or, or what may even be worse than that when you go to the doctor and they give you part of a diagnosis or they hint at or indicate that something might be wrong that would kill you in the next few days but we're going to make you an appointment in two months to let you know if that's the case or not right that's the worst. Sometimes it's the not knowing that's, that's where the real anxiety begins to enter in. Maybe you've gotten a diagnosis and the prognosis is not what you had hoped it would be. Or there's a child that's gone wayward and is making decisions about their life that are altogether destructive for them. And you want so badly to see them turn back and treasure Jesus with all of their heart and soul and strength and mind. We, we wouldn't, none of us would for a moment Minimize or marginalize the significance, the heaviness, the weight of any of those circumstances, and there may be many more beyond those. But I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that in every case, Jesus Christ can be trusted with the circumstances of your life. He's a good and faithful God who always does what is right. When I said moments ago that you're going to have to preach that sermon to your heart, I meant it with all of my heart. Today and tomorrow and the next day, you're going to have to preach to your wicked heart of the goodness and the power of our King Jesus. You're going to have to say, wicked heart, Jesus is able to meet all my needs. Jesus has a strong desire to meet all my needs. You're going to have to say, all authority on heaven and earth has been given to him. He is able. You're going to have to say, wicked heart, my God shall supply all your needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. You're going to have to say, wicked heart, we're going to trust him in the here and now because what awaits us in the there and then is not worthy to be compared with the sufferings of this present age. You're going to have to say, wicked heart, I can rest today. I can find peace today because the father who did not withhold his only son would withhold no good and perfect gift from his child. You're going to have to preach to your wicked heart to find rest in the day of anxiety. It won't be easy. But there is joy and peace and gladness of heart. Such goodness to be found, to be experienced on the other side, on the other side, on the other side. Far too often we give give in to that. We just yield to that. And then here's the other thing that I find frustrating with me personally, and it's probably true in your life as well. When God shows up and provides and works the miracle that you couldn't have imagined happening, you just move very quickly along and you chalk it up to some earthly circumstance, a decision that was made somewhere, something like a bolt out of the blue you never saw coming, but it has a natural purpose, a natural reason, and you roll on without ever spending a season in celebration and thanking God for the great way that He's been at work and moved in your life. We like when things like this happen, we, when bad things happen, we always have these ideas about how God's working and, and moving. We, we try to, I, I do this as a pastor, I, I sometimes feel foolish in doing so, but I, I mean it as an encouragement. This bad thing happens in your, lo- in your life, and I want to help you put together the ABCs of how God's using this for your good and some positive outcome down the road. And we have no idea what God is doing. We might have a little bit of an idea about one little thing over here when God's doing 10 million things in our life for our betterment and for the glory of his name. He is worthy of our trust. He is worthy of our trust. He is worthy of our trust. But you've got to know that this kind of extended, long-lasting, constant peace and freedom from anxiety, it it, it has a beginning. And it, it begins in acknowledging the absolute lordship of jesus over our life it begins at salvation at salvation we trust and we believe in him and we enter into a peace that we are wrestling to enjoy in its fullness for the duration of our earthly life only to be enjoyed in its fullness in heaven that is to come peace is entered into at the moment of our salvation We spend the rest of our days here wrestling against the flesh, seeking to enjoy what Jesus has already entrusted to us. Unless you've come to him, unless you've come to him, you'll never know that kind of peace. The Apostle Paul talks about a peace that passes all understanding. That's always seemed incomprehensible to me, and I suppose for good reason, because it's beyond understanding but it's a peace that God is glad to give through the sacrifice of his son, Jesus Christ. Until you begin by yielding to his lordship over your life, you can never know that peace that comes from knowing his lordship over your life. Come to Christ and rest confidently in him. He has your situation well in hand. Don't you trust him? Don't you you trust him? You all with me this morning? I want so bad to do what this passage requires of of me because I know it's for my good. And at the same time, I find it so frustrating because I know me, and I like to be in charge of things, and I like to be in control. I like to be able to put my hands on things and fix them. And there's some things that, whether we like to acknowledge it or not, not, are simply beyond our control. But I, I, I know somebody who's in charge over everything whose rule, whose authority knows no bounds. His name is Jesus, and he would invite you to trust and rest in him. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word and for its truth. Thank you for the simplicity of this passage. Thank you, Lord, that you attend the preaching of your word by your Holy Spirit, enabling in us the ability to do what we otherwise could not do, lord the spirit is willing but the flesh is weak now i suspect that there are many like me who want so badly to do what this passage requires of us and yet we know how sinful we are how inclined toward anxiety we are god i pray that that you would empower us lord equip us to rest in the knowledge of jesus's lordship over our life God, I pray for the lost among us, Lord, who, who may be riddled with frustration and anxiety and just worry in general. God, I pray that, that you'd help them to come away from their labor, their striving, and their straining, and to rest in Jesus. God, save them from their sin. Lord, one of, one of the ways that you encourage me during times of, of great burden is, is in the fact that in those seasons, you're, you're, you're my refuge, God. You're where I go. You're the one to whom I run. God, I, I pray that if, if, if that's not true for anyone here today, God, that if in our time of, of duress we we'd look to any other source for comfort and for peace, I pray, God, that you would smash those idols in our life. You, you would help us to know that Jesus is the strength and stay of our soul. I I pray, God, that you would help us to trust him, to entrust ourselves to you in every way, God, to find the rest that comes with that. God, seek out and save this morning. Lord, I pray that you would lift the burdens and the anxieties of those who've gathered here, whatever the concerns are, whatever the needs look like, God. I, I pray that you'd speak through your word and by your spirit, God, a word of encouragement and comfort. Help them to know and Rest in the knowledge that you are indeed the Lord of all lords. God, I pray that you would build up your church, that you would advance your kingdom, that you would strengthen the saints, that you would call sinners to repentance, God, that you would refine us and shape us and mold us and make us to be the people that you'd have us to be. We ask it in Jesus' name.